0: outward focus. And the reason for that is we feel like uh, that's one of the best ways that we can help one another to make disciples. And that's one of the main commands that Jesus Christ gave to his followers before he ascended into heaven was go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Um, And then he gives these great promises that he'd be with us forever. And so that's our ambition. Our goal as a church is not to Um, just have a bunch of fun events for the sake of having fun events. Um, It's to help us grow as disciples in Jesus Christ. And so one of the uh, mechanisms that we have for that as a church is what we call membership. Um, And another word for it might be partnership. It's the idea of... um, Men and women in the church partnering with each other and with the leadership and with the Lord, covenanting together um, to be in partnership together for Jesus' mission. And so that's what uh, membership is about here. There's not a command in the Bible uh, that every church should have an official membership list, but there's a lot of commands in the Bible about how we we, got to work together, we got to see ourselves as part of one body functioning together, caring for each other. And so we think membership is a, is a natural expression of that. And so uh, we wanted to, to take a moment today to honor some folks that had recently gone through that membership process and have covenanted uh, with us as a church that they're uh, on mission uh, for Jesus with, with our congregation. So uh, just so you know, membership is not um, it's not like the A team and the B team. Right? Here's the varsity and the rest of you are you know, maybe sophomore team if you're lucky. Um, it's just a way of saying we know this is our church. We know that we're committed to the, the theology and the beliefs and the vision and the values, and we're, and we're going in the same direction. That's what it's about. There's no you know, closer parking spaces or T-shirts or you know anything like that. Um, but we do want to honor and celebrate folks that are, have, have officially partnered with us. So in your program today, on the bottom left there, you, you'll see a list of some people who have officially just recently covenanted with us in membership. Um, some of those are folks who just went through our, uh, our recent class um, and have then gone through an interview process and that sort of thing. Others are, are those who were members when we were Second Mile Church and have now decided to just renew that. So if you're kind of going, why am I not on that list? It's because you either haven't gone through the class and f- kind of completed that process, or you didn't get back to us about whether you were going to renew your covenant. But uh, for those of you that are here and your name is on that list, would you please stand? And we want to just honor you and, uh, and pray for you. Would you stand together? Hey. Thank you. Um, you, can st- you can stay standing and, and let's pray together. Um, God, we thank you for these men and women who have partnered uh, with you and with us as a church to, uh, to go into all the world, to the world that you've sent them into and to make disciples. God, we pray for your grace and your blessing on them personally as they seek to follow you. We pray for your grace as as you uh, bless their family relationships and their work and neighborhood and all the other uh, hobbies and other places where you've sent them. Pray that they would have your uh, promise that you would be with them always. Pray that that would be on their hearts and minds, that you'd give them boldness and courage. And God, as we work together um, to make disciples, Um, to to try to help one another grow more closely into the image of Jesus. We pray that you would give grace to them and to all of us as we do that. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Will you honor these folks again? All right, now we want to have everybody stand. Uh, And uh, John Cronwald, one of our pastors, is going to read the scripture together. So let's stand together.
1: As Luke said, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew 5. If you've got one of the black Bibles from the back, you can see that's on page 811. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. And remember, as we're reading, we are reading God's word. All right, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you
0: Well, today's going to conclude our uh, series here on scandalous, where we've been looking at these extreme and shocking sayings of Jesus. Each week's been kind of like a newspaper headline. And uh, one of the things we've said all along the way is that Jesus' statements were shocking. They were extreme. Um, A lot of people sort of generally imagine Jesus to be a real nice guy. And yeah, I'd like to, you know, kind of learn from him and things like that. But when you start seeing what he actually says, you start to go, Whoa. In fact, there were a number of times when Jesus said things and people in the scriptures, it records that, that they responded saying, this is like hard teaching. This is difficult. Who can, who can accept this? And uh, so Jesus is real in your face. And we've tried to just, just be faithful to what he says, not add anything to it, not take it away in this series. And today's our last one. Uh, and we're going to look at this passage right in the heart of his famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew uh, 5 through 7. Um, just so you know, after this, we're going to take a couple weeks in these next few weeks, kind of standalone uh, messages that aren't part of any particular series, just stuff that we think will uh, bless us and help us as a church. And then at the end of October, we'll be starting a verse-by-verse series through 1 Thessalonians. Um, and that'll take us really through the end of the year. So just so you know, that's what's, uh, that's what's coming. As we look here today um, at this, this teaching of Jesus, it makes me think about the, the reality that there's all kinds of stuff in life that we assume that's good, that's a a really good idea, that's a really good thing, and you know, other people should do that, but we kind of go, but I don't know if that really applies to me, so to me, one of my favorite examples here would be um, texting while driving, right, everybody's on this big crusade to get you to stop texting while driving, you go, that's bad, you shouldn't text while you drive, other people shouldn't text while they drive, but I really have to get in touch with this person, right, you ever have that? You go, it applies to them, but, but not really to me. I know in, uh, in kind of church world, uh, we really do believe that people grow best in community and in relationships. And it's not uh, uncommon for ch- pastors and churches to say, you should be in community. You should be in a group. You should get connected. But then not be in it themselves. Um, I just think that's really hypocritical, and I'm unwilling to do that. And so we're part of a community, actually a great community. We're totally excited about what God's doing. I had a great uh, time this week um, praying and talking about just some opportunities to care for some neighbors. And just, I'm I'm excited about that. Um, But a lot of people go, that's good to do for you, but not for me. Um, Another example might be uh, baseball. I mean, one of the ways you know that God is sovereign and good is that the Yankees lost. Um, but actually, the Yankees losing is bad for baseball. I mean, the just evidence shows once the Yankees are out of it, pe- you know, the very few people that were watching in the first place stop watching, um, and and so I'm as somebody that cares about baseball, I really think it's bad the Yankees are out of it. I, I want people to be into baseball, even though I won't really be into it myself or care. <laughs> So it's, like, it's good for them, but, but not for me. And that's the same thing of this passage. The main command that Jesus is going to give here today is in verse 44. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that is something that we go, man, that is, yeah, that's right. Love your enemies. That just sounds really good. And I hope other people treat me that way. But you don't understand how bad this person hurt me. You don't understand how long they've been acting this way and it happens over and over. Like, it's good. It, that's a really good thing. And I hope everyone else does that. But not me. So we want to just uh, be challenged by what Jesus has to say here and go if Jesus is right that this is true and that this is best, then it needs to apply to us too. Now, context wise, just to give you a sense of, of where we are, we've uh, t- hit a couple of passages along the way through this series from Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we've talked about that this is kind of the Sermon on the Heart. Jesus is not interested in external religion, he's interested in a heart that's devoted to Jesus. And so all along the way in chapter 5, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, um, Jesus is quoting from Old Testament passages, he'll say, you've heard that it was said, and then he'll quote it, and then he'll say, but I say to you, and then he'll basically try to clarify, here's what this was really saying if you apply it to the heart, and so he's done that all along the way. A few weeks ago, we looked at the issue of lust and adultery, and, and we looked at that very thing. Um, this is how this passage starts as well. In verse 43, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Now, there's something different about this passage than all the other ones that, that, are, that come before it, and that is that the quote that Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, is part Bible and part human addition. So it's part an actual quote, and it's part what people have kind of added to it, or how they've interpreted it. And so this is a unique one. This is why he doesn't say, you've heard that it was written. He says, you've heard that it was said. This is what people have kind of added to this. And uh, the passage that is sort of uh, being referenced here is Leviticus 19, verse 18. Here's what it says. This is written to the people of Israel and the kingdom of Israel. You shall not take vengeance... Or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So when he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. This is what he's quoting to. This is what he's referring to. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And everyone goes, yeah, that's right. That's like the golden rule. And, and do unto others as you would wish they'd do to you. And that, Yeah, I'm for that. But they've added something. And they've added something the Bible doesn't say, which is, and you shall hate your enemy. You shall hate your enemy. Okay, it doesn't say that. I mean, that verse doesn't say that. How did they get there? Well, they got there by looking at the first part of the verse. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Which they took to, meant, to mean, you can't take vengeance or bear a grudge against Israelites. Anyone else? Grudge away. Feel free to hate them. Feel free to have vengeance. I mean, that's sort of how this got applied. That this loving your neighbor, right, and even when Jesus talks about that the greatest commandment is to love God with everything and the second's like it, love your neighbor as yourself, the religious leader responds, who's my neighbor? Right, there's this constant sense of trying to go, well, who is it? Who's in? Who's out? Because these are people that are looking for any opportunity to have disgust and contempt and hatred towards the people they don't like. Jesus is saying this is sort of a common way to think about things. Love your neighbor, hate those who you don't like, who are your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus is is saying that that whole, everything you've heard, like the love your your neighbor part, that's right. But I'm going to take it to the heart of what, what God intends by this verse. Love your enemies, he says. What's the word enemy mean? What is an enemy? Uh, The word enemy here really means like someone who's hostile against you, someone who's expressing hostility towards you. Not a great definition, really. It doesn't define it super clearly. And so as we just try to think, okay, how can we apply this specific passage to us? um, Here's how I want us to think about it, is you've got love your enemy. That's the main command here. Love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. Some of you, when we say your enemy... You fall into a camp where you go, I instantly know who my enemy is. Like a face came in my head, a group of people came in my head, a relationship. I mean, boom, it is there, it is fresh. It may even sort of distract you throughout the rest of our time together because you are so consumed by that person that just came to mind. Some of you live with this person, if we're honest. Some of you, it's a person that were. I mean, we go on and on. Some of you, someone just instantly came to mind. Now, others of you, um, no one really came to mind. you got to go, I like me. Who wouldn't like me, right? I mean, you just can't, you can't, that's a little bit how I'm just so naive and into myself that I can't imagine people, who wouldn't like me, right? And yet, am I the only one that's like that? Like, gosh, he is, he's selfish if you only knew how selfish I am. But you would go, I I don't know of anyone instantly, like there's no one that's really hurt me in a defined way, no one that instantly comes to mind. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Broaden this, because the word means hostile. Broaden it to the people who just irritate you. They bug you. Maybe it's on purpose, maybe not. But their, their, their behavior demonstrates hostility. They just frequently annoy you. We covered everybody now? We all have somebody in our head here? I mean, this is what Jesus is talking about. The heart of this, the the root of this, that the heart here, Jesus is always trying to go, this applies to you. Don't deflect it. Don't minimize it. Don't go, I wish someone else was here. Love your enemy. Whether it's an obvious enemy or just an irritating person. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. To pray for those who persecute you, that's an amazing idea. I mean, when you pray, what you're doing is you're talking to the Lord. You're, you're expressing thanks to God. So in this case, you would be thanking God for the people persecuting you. And when you pray, you, you intercede. You ask for things on behalf of yourself or others of God. And so to pray for those who per- persecute you is to ask God for blessing on people who are hurting you. Right? This is not... Like, this is not the prayer that's like, Lord, blind them. Right? I mean, that would be one way to pray for your enemy. That's not what he's talking about. Saying, Lord, bless them. God, the same level of of joy that I want in my life, I pray you'd give to them. The same level of forgiveness and grace that I want in my life, I pray you'd give to them. In fact, in just a moment, in chapter 6, Jesus is going to teach what we know as the Lord's prayer. And in there, he's going to say in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Which, when you look at what that means, what it's saying is, God, forgive my enemy in the same way that I've forgiven them. Forgive me as I've forgiven them. That's a bold prayer. Pray for those who persecute you. Man, that's extreme. And he goes on, if if you go down to uh, verse 46, I mean, you see why this is so extreme. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? I like how uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in the message. He puts it this way. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer, for then you are working out your true selves, your God created selves. This is what God does He gives His best the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. You're kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. You want a medal? You like the people that already like you? Jesus, congratulations. Anyone can do that. But what makes you different, what makes you identifiable as a son or daughter of God, is if you are able to do the impossible. Just love your enemy and pray for those who hurt you. So I've got a number of just different ideas and and points that I've kind of put together here. I don't know that it's going to follow any great pattern. If you're real linear and, and structured, you're going to maybe be frustrated with me today. I don't normally teach like this, but as I was just kind of going through it, it's going like, there's a lot of this that's very like theoretical, and oh yeah, love your enemies. It's like, let's get practical. So I wanted to try to go, how does this work itself out practically and from this passage? And so here's the first thing I want you to see from this, is that uh, this issue of loving your, your enemies is about reflecting the character of God. It's about reflecting the likeness of God to the people around you. Look at verse 45. Why would you do this? Why would you respond this way? Well, Jesus gives the answer. Verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sons reign on the just and on the unjust. Why would you do this? So that you can reflect the family likeness of God. The scripture says that if you've been forgiven by the grace of Jesus, you've been adopted into his family, you are a child of God by grace. Now you have to reflect that by extending grace to others. Because here's what God does. What does God do? The sun rises on the evil and on the good. The rain falls on the crops of the atheist pagan farmer and the Christian farmer. Same rain. This is what theologians have called common grace. It's the reason why people who don't have any care or desire or relationship to God still experience some level of blessing, still do some things that we would look at and say, that's good for society, that's helpful, that's creative, that's it's common grace. God gives grace, as it says here, to the good and to the evil, to the just and to the unjust. Now that should be good news for us, because every one of us sitting here is evil. I didn't hear any amens to that. Every one of us is unjust. The scripture says, no one is good. No one naturally can please God enough. When you look at the chasm between God's holy perfection, His perfect, His perfect nature, and you look at our sin and our disregard of Him, there's a huge gap. And so for God to send rain and sun on us, evil, unjust people, is gracious of him. And so we are to love people, to return cursing with blessing, to return hurt with kindness. Why? So we'll reflect God. They may not see it, may not change them. They may never come to you and go, why would you do that? That's so godly of you. They may just keep being me, but it honors the Lord. And we exist to bring glory to God, right? That's what we're about. So love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. Now, another question I think that's important to ask as it relates to this is why is this person your enemy? Now, maybe if you've been, like, truly a victim of really serious sin and abuse and hurt, it might be very clear that there is nothing you did to deserve this. There is nothing, there's no part you played in this. And and so, if that's where your enemy lies, just, I I get it. But for many cases where people are hostile towards us, many cases where people are annoying to us, many cases where people seek to harm us, generally speaking, we had something to do with it. So we gotta ask ourselves, why are they my enemy? Is it because I've contributed to this in somehow? Is it that perhaps I, they've hurt me, I've hurt them back, and the, the, it just keeps escalating? What's, what are the things that I've done wrong? What are the ways that I've responded incorrectly that have just fueled this hostility? And then if you identify those things to go, I gotta clean that up, I gotta do something about that, I gotta go to that person and say, you know what, I know our relationship is broken and I know that there's all kinds of reasons for that and I just want to take ownership for the fact that I have something to do with it. And here are the ways that I've hurt you and here are the ways that I've sinned against you and I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? You gotta own that. You gotta demonstrate that humility. And here's what I'll tell you. Most of the time, that won't restore the relationship. Most of the time, they'll just use that as another way to as, a, assume superiority over you. You'll, See, I knew it was all your fault. Right? That's what happens. We were talking with all the, the preachers at the various congregations about this. And, kind of, and, and a bunch of guys were sharing examples and stories of how they had a specific relationship that was broken. And it was broken because there was just sin and hurt on both sides. And over and over, the story was, I heard something from God's word that said, I gotta deal with this, I gotta ask for forgiveness, I gotta humble myself. I went to the person, hoping that it would mend the relationship, and all all the other person did was go, yeah, it's your fault, I know. Didn't take any ownership of their sin, didn't take any ownership of their stuff. So if you do this, If you you humble yourself like this and go to express love and forgiveness, asking forgiveness to somebody, just, just don't expect it to heal it. Expect that they may sin even more against you. But listen, it's not about making the situation better. It's about making you better. It's about making you more and more like Christ, more and more humble, more and more broken. That's what this is about. See, one of the questions here is, how are you going to manage this hurt over the long haul? If you have a relationship that's broken, you're going to manage it with something. You're going you're to think about it a certain way. You're going to relate in a certain way. Are you going to relate with love, and selflessness, and blessing? Or are you going to relate with hate and selfishness and cursing? How are you going to do it? How are you going to manage this? What's, what's going to be the attitude of your heart towards that person? What will it be? Jesus is saying, you want to reflect your Father, you love them. You love them. And you pray for them. See, prayer here is not just the obedient thing to do, it's actually a transforming thing to do. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I've had the experience of having somebody that is just irritating and hurtful, and I can't figure them out, and I never understand why they're always mad at me, and if I you know, see them in a grocery store, I just want to go the other way, and just don't want to, right? You have people like that? You've thought of those people already? One of the most transforming things you can do is pray for them. Sometimes God uses it to transform them, but he always uses it to transform you. Because think about what are you doing when you're praying? You're going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't deserve anything. All I've done is sin against you and you've forgiven me. would you do the same for them? You can't pray that prayer and have it not change your heart towards them. When you pray and you see your own bankruptcy before God and then you see it in them, you you have a level of empathy for them. It doesn't excuse their sin. It doesn't say just everything's okay. They didn't do anything wrong. Notice, Jesus says he makes a sunrise on the evil and the good, the just and the unjust. He's not saying just love everybody because nobody does any bad stuff. He says, it is bad, it is evil, it is unjust. Love them anyway. Because that's what God did for you. That's extreme. So we can't get into this issue and not talk about forgiveness. So I want to get into this issue of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a, just a huge problem in every broken relationship. Anyone who does counseling, anyone who leads a community, anyone who is involved in any kind of ministry knows that at the heart of broken relationships is conflict, and at the heart of conflict is unforgiveness. Always. It's always there. There's a bitterness that we hold on to. What do we do about that? How does that inform this situation? Let's go to Matthew chapter 18. Keep your finger in Matthew 5 there, and flip to the right, to chapter 18... And uh, we're going to start in verse twenty-one. Looking there, uh, since you have your Bible there, we can just turn there rather than put it on the screen. Uh, Matthew eighteen, um, starting verse twenty-one. Right before this, Jesus has given sort of an example of here's how you handle it when people sin against you, when people hurt you. You go to them, you confront them about it. And now he's uh, Peter comes up in verse twenty-one. Peter comes up and says to him, Lord. How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Right? And, and Peter's just like super proud of himself here, right? He's going like, Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You don't fool me a third time, but I'm going to give him seven. Jesus, aren't I amazing? And that's kind of, you just can kind of read between the lines. That's kind of the attitude of his heart. And Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Jesus just raises the bar. And and if if your question then becomes, so what happens on the 491st time? Then you don't get the point. You just, boom, you just missed it. I mean, the whole point was, it's not seven, it's 70 times seven. It's unlimited. You keep forgiving over and over, every time really? How would I do that? Why why would I do that? Jesus is going to tell a story to explain why. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, talents is not like a skill or ability, right? It wasn't like he's going on America's Got Talent and just running away with it because he has 10,000 of them. I mean, that's not it. It's, it's a monetary amount. If you look at uh, the footnote there, hopefully you have a footnote in your Bible, it says that a talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years' wages for a laborer. So that's one talent, 20 years' wages. He owes 10,000 of them. So let's, just, let's put this in like today, just so we kind of get this a bit. Uh, a, a laborer might make $6 an hour, say they work 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year for 20 years, right? That's 20, 20 years wages for labor as a talent, times 10,000. In case you get lost in all the zeros and commas there, that's 2.4, just about $2.5 billion. I mean, I know people that have racked up credit card debt. They generally cut you off before you get to $2.4 billion. I mean, this is like, this is a lot of money. I mean, you, this is, let's just say this. It's unpayable. You couldn't pay this off. This is an unpayable debt that this guy owes. Okay, so we get this, kind of put it in our terms. Verse 25. And since he could not pay, uh, yeah, no kidding, uh, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him that means begging. Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Which right there you go. Really? How how patient exactly do I have to be? Cuz I don't think you're going to live that long. But he's begging him. Verse 27. And out of pity for him the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. I mean, wow, like that's amazing, right? You go, I want, I want my money. I mean, I've, he's loaned out that much money. He's, somebody spent that much money. He, he'd want it back. He forgives him that. He releases him. Verse 28, but when that same servant went out, he, found, he was so overwhelmed by the grace of God that here's what he did. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. Okay, now a denarius, it says in the footnote, was a day's wage for a laborer. And he owes 100 of those. Okay, so let's see that. That's $6 an hour, 8 hours, 100 days, $4,800. He owes $2.5 billion, wiped clear. He leaves so overwhelmed with gratitude that he goes and finds the guy who owes him $4,800. And seizing him, he began to choke him Saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. This is, sounds very familiar. Have patience with me and I will pay you. Only this guy actually could. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. How would you feel if you saw that? You go, uh, that, ain't, that ain't right. I got a problem with that. That's how they felt. Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. When's he going to pay all his debt? Never. Never. So he d- delivered to jail forever. It's all just a story. Remember, Jesus is illustrating something. Here's, here's how he concludes. Verse 33, or 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Do you get it? Jesus here is saying the debt of sin that you owe Because of your neglect of God, your disobedience of God, your disregarding God. All the ways that he's blessed you, the sun has come up and the rain has poured down on you, even though you're evil and even though you're unjust, and you haven't thanked him for it. All of that is is like a debt of sin. And it's an unpayable debt. It's $2.5 billion worth of personal sin debt. And no matter how much you go, oh, just, just wait, I'll do enough good things to overcome my bad things, right? Put all my deeds on a scale, and if I just, I'll, just, I'll just keep going at event. No, you won't. Your only hope is the grace, the pity, the mercy of the one you owe it to, God. And God, in his grace and in his mercy, says, I release you. I forgive you. He does that, by the way, because he sends Jesus Christ to pay the debt on the cross. That's what was happening on the cross. Jesus was suffering the punishment that our $2.5 billion worth of sin deserved. And so we go free. Jesus is guilty. We go free. And Jesus is saying that for us to hold a grudge, for us to exact vengeance, for us to be unwilling to forgive from the heart, is like then going out and saying, I've been forgiven this debt. You owe me a little bit. It's ridiculous. And some of us, listen, some of you, you've experienced real hurt. Like that might sound like, that might sound like I'm trivializing the hurt that you've experienced. And I'm, I'm not. God knows that. Jesus knows that better than anybody. If Jesus would suffer like this himself and still allow it to happen in our lives, he knows it and he understands it and he must have a good reason. But what it is saying is that the debt of sin you owed is so much bigger. And still, you're forgiven. In light of that, Be a son of your father. Be a daughter of your father. Release people of what they owe you. Forgive them. Even if they're going to keep accruing more and more debt against you with their sin and their hatred and their hostility. Keep loving. Keep forgiving because that's what God keeps doing to you. Forgiveness is powerful. If you experience it, it can change you big time. I want to share with you a, a story. I, I've, I've showed this a long time ago, I think. Uh, some of you may remember it. Most of you won't. Um, from a 60 Minutes that I watched. And it's a, uh, an episode that related, it was telling the story of a gal named Jennifer Thompson and Ronald Cotton. And when Jennifer was a young woman, um, a man attacked her at knife point, uh, raped her, hurt her, etc., And Jennifer then identified Ronald Cotton as the man who had done this. He was sentenced, um, spent 11 years in prison before he was exonerated, let go because he wasn't guilty. He was proven by DNA evidence. So just get the dynamics here. She has spent all this time hating this guy. He's in jail going, I didn't do it. Imagine the bitterness that would creep into his heart against this person that has falsely accused him. Well, it comes out that here's what happened. This, he's released. Um, and uh, this story tells, tells what happened from there. Take a look.
2: I had just taken my life and like turned it upside down. She cried? Oh, she cried. She broke down. I mean, she took it all on herself. You know, the Guilt. You know, I did this to that man. Shame? Shame. Terrible shame. Suffocating, debilitating shame. But when she thought or dreamed about that night, it was still Ronald Cotton's face she saw. To get past it, she asked if he would meet with her at a local church. I remember him walking into the church, and I physically could not stand up.
1: She was nervous, scared.
2: I started to cry immediately, and I looked at him, and I said, Ron, if I spent every second of every minute, every hour for the rest of my life telling you how sorry I am, it wouldn't come close to how my heart feels. I'm so sorry. And Ronald just leaned down. He took my hands. Oh, gosh. And he looked at me. He said, I forgive you.
1: I told her, I said, Jennifer, I forgive you. I don't want you to look over your shoulder. I just want us to be happy and move on in life.
2: The minute he forgave me, it's like my heart physically started to heal. And I thought, this is what grace and mercy is all about. This is what they teach you in church that none of us ever get. And here was this man that I had hated. With, I mean, I used to pray every day of my life during those 11 years, that he would die, Mm. that he would be raped in prison Mm. and someone would kill him in prison. That was my prayer to God. And here was this man who, with grace and mercy, just forgave me. That is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. How wrong I was and how good he is.
0: I love that line where she says, this is what they talk about in church, but no one ever experiences. There's an element where I, I feel like, even as I'm talking here, you know, I feel like some of you go, eh, "Yeah, well, whatever, keep going. When's this over? What's for lunch?" You know, and it's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah." That sounds like all the religious stuff. That sounds right. What if? What if you were able to experience? forgiveness of somebody like that? What if your heart could begin to mend and to heal after years and years of hatred and bitterness? What if that happened? What if you began to reflect the love and the compassion that God has shown to you? See, love of enemies, that's what's at the heart of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is fundamentally about God, the perfect one, the holy one, the righteous one, being slain for us, the wicked ones, the unjust ones, the ones that weren't grateful or thankful. That's what's going on in the gospel. The apostle Paul in Romans 5, he talks about this. He, He says it this way. He says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who did Christ die for? The weak, the ungodly. He says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Here's here's kind of what he's saying. You know, there are some people you go, I'll sacrifice my life for them. That would be a noble thing. That would be a good thing. They're a good person. I think you might be willing to do that. He says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. While we were still ungrateful, Christ died for us. That is the heart of the gospel. Jesus Christ is on the cross praying, crying out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing while his blood is being spilled so that our unpayable debt can be paid. Therefore, love those who are hostile to you. Pray blessing into their lives. That's actually what we're going to do now. We're going to take some time and pray. Again, prayer is just talking to the Lord. If, if prayer is kind of a new thing to you, uh, we're just going to have each person praying silently to the Lord. You're not going to be asked to do um, anything uncomfortable in front of people. Uh, but prayer is talking to the Lord. It's expressing how you feel to the Lord. The Lord already knows everything that you feel, but it's, it's relating to him. It's having a conversation. And so we're going to spend some, some time here to apply this. I don't want to just go, go do it. And just hope that we'll all get around to it. Let's actually, let's actually do it now. So I'm going to have you, uh, I'm going to ask you to just bow your head. And uh, we're going to pray together. I'm going to give you just kind of a, a topic, uh, just, just out loud. And ask you to spend a few moments praying about that. And then I'll give you a couple more. We'll just do a few along the way as we try to apply Jesus' extreme teaching here. Here's the first thing to pray for. Is consider the grace of God to you. Even while you were still rebelling against him, how he sent Jesus. Take a moment and think about that, and thank him for that. Let's pray. of this series, we've talked about a lot of difficult things that Jesus has commanded us. Pray for the courage and the faith to do what he commands. Take a moment now and think of those people that are hostile towards you or irritating towards you and uh, ask God to give you the courage and the heart to forgive them. do the hardest thing of all and let's pray for their blessing. Pray for them to flourish. Pray for them to experience the grace and mercy of God. gracious to us. You are holy, 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 unstained from sin, unable to dwell in the presence of sinners, unwilling to welcome those who are stained by sin, apart from cleansing them. Lord, thank you that you gave your Son, Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the righteous one who died for the unrighteous to bring us to God. God, thank you for the forgiveness that we find in him. God, I pray that it would transform us so deeply that we could love our enemy and pray for those who persecute us. God, I pray that you would bless us with a sense of knowing you better as we seek to obey you in this way. We pray that to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. We're going to take some time now and respond. Um, Our God is a God of healing, a God of forgiveness, and it's appropriate um, in this moment that we would take communion together as His body. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you look to the cross as the place where God, um, because of Christ's work, forgave your debt, He paid that insurmountable debt, $2.5 billion debt, whatever um, then I invite you to to take communion with us. We've got the elements here on the tables underneath the screens as well as in the middle of the room here by this pole. Um, You're welcome to help yourself to those elements. And uh, as you take communion, remind